Welcome to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno. Why aren't we asking any questions to open the show as we usually do? What went wrong? Well, somebody, mainly me, uh, did not change uh, questions from last week's for this week's script, so we'll break with tradition uh, this one time and well, move right always, on to Ben. Well, you could always find some sort of... Uh, you know, rhetorical questions well, I believe in, I just in mind. <laughs> you do, well, actually, that's a very good point. Yeah. So, welcome to the 919th edition of Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno, coming to you from WOON, AM, and FM Radio in Woonsocket, Rhode Island, on the Paranormal Radio app from TalkStream Live on YouTube and via TuneIn.com. I'm Ben, and those wide-ranging questions came from my co-host, partner in Paranormal Adventures, and dad, Paul. And today we bring you an open line show with our wonderful cousin and frequent guest co-host, Rick Eno. Interested in all areas of the paranormal? Uh, yes. Uh, Rick is a certified investigator for the Mutual UFO Network and has been our show's Northern California reporter for several years. He lives with his lovely family in the San Francisco area. Flash him on the screen there, will you, Ben? And we also have uh, our lovely show mascot, uh, Aria Eno, whom we affectionately know as Aria 51. And um, we're going to be moving right on to our um, uh, welcome to Rick. Thank you. It's great to be here again. I hope everything's good out there on the East Coast. It well, is. well, it is. Uh, it is. It is fall here, so the leaves are are turning and falling, and all the leaf peepers hopefully go back to their homes, and everything is the way it should be. Yes, without helping us with the raking. <clears throat> Indeed. Anyway, <clears throat> I don't so know. let's get right uh, right to it uh, now. Well, first of all, Rick, uh, let, well, why don't we just sort of start with you? Um, you have a new case that you wanted to report on. Yeah, um, at the bottom of the hour, there's a, a it, it's <clears throat> it's more of a phenomenon, and then there was a witness to it. Okay, well we'll wait, we'll wait to uh, build up some suspense uh, at the bottom of the hour then. Okay, so <clears throat> let's start then with a question from Phil. Now Phil is uh, one of our show reporters in the infamous Litchfield Triangle in Connecticut, and uh, wanted to um, ask a couple of things here, Ben, if you would. Sure. Alrighty, so Phil writes to us. Hi, Paul. One of the takeaways from the Village of Voices case is that we are all in eternal uh, in eternal present time, as Einstein and you have pointed out. But if we follow this to its logical conclusion, it also means that horrific events like the Holocaust, Stalin's purges, uh, Pol Pot's massacres, and Mao's re-education camps are always happening forever. Uh, that is a sobering thought to deal with. Can you shed a positive light on this? Phil from Litchfield. Okay, uh, yes, I can certainly try. Uh, thank you, Phil, for your usual uh, deep and uh, thought-provoking questions. Uh, first of all, the Village of Voices case, we did a show, uh, I believe it was two weeks ago, on that in honor of uh, what would have been pretty much the middle of the 50th anniversary of that case. It was my first field case, uh, Connecticut, 1970-1972. Real eye-opener, because all the theories... Not only all the, the the sort of what I thought were new theories that I had about what ghosts are all about uh, were apparently wrong, but of course all the old ideas that I hadn't really believed anyway uh, really didn't work out either. So <clears throat> the um, case seemed to be, uh, by the time we wrapped it up, more about time than death. There would be things happening all around us that seem to be from the uh, 18th century. We ourselves at one point seem to be have been caught in a time slip of some kind. 
uh, <clears throat> and um, uh, sort of astonishing those who were from whatever time it was who were picking up on us, and it certainly astounded us, and we heard them talking and muttering, that sort of thing. It's all, uh, uh, if you want to listen to the show from two weeks ago, uh, it's all there, as well as uh, in some of the books I've written uh, in uh, sort of a full treatment of that case. So that's the case that uh, Phil is referring to. And also that time, uh, as in uh, all of our cases, pretty much that we've seen, uh, the way we interpret them is that there is no past, there is no future, there is simply now. And uh, we experience this past, if you, then, then this, this also refers back to Albert Einstein's uh, special theory of relativity, uh, published in 1952, that time is essentially coexistent, uh, past and future, and that uh, uh, to move on to Professor Ahmad Goswami, who's been on the show, uh, the sense of self that we have is an illusion. It's a sense of self-reference uh, within this huge cloud of everything, okay? Uh, and that we have not reached the point in our evolution, and we're a very young species, where we can perceive all this without being considered crazy. And uh, as I've often referred to, there were people I worked with uh, as a, in a pastoral capacity as a seminary student uh, in psychiatric hospitals who seemed to be... Um, very much aware of this kind of world. I didn't understand it at the time, uh, of these multiple worlds, of the multiverse, as we call it. And uh, they were considered schizophrenic because of this. Some were, were, were aware of terrible worlds. Some were aware of very good ones, which gets to the next part of Phil's question. Uh, the terrible things that he refers to, the Holocaust, uh, Stalin's purges, etc., uh, all going on simultaneously. This is... Um, this gets into a point of view that I have written about too, and that's uh, the um, complete, not only that all past and future are coexistent at the same time, but that all possible outcomes are out there in this multiverse also. Now, taken all together, it means that all the good things that have happened both in your life and in the, the history of the human race that we know about uh, are there too, forming perhaps a great, elegant perfection. And people uh, will come after me uh, who think they know about their religion, and they'll hear that I studied in the seminary. And how can you say this? What you know? Well, <clears throat> I can say it. <clears throat> excuse me, because it is logical, uh, and everything in the faith should be reasonable in the sense that. Uh, it shouldn't be um, <clears throat> completely out of context of uh, what, what the, the whole human race pretty much has has been uh, has experienced God, or how how the human race has experienced God. So uh, you've got a complete wholeness, all possible outcomes, and in a complete um, uh, sort of elegant whole, as we said. How could that be? Well, if uh, God created the universe. He would have created the multiverse because we were always uh, taught in the seminary that, that the creation was a result of an explosion of divine love that could not be contained. God kind of had to create everything. And <clears throat> if God, you know, whether you consider he, she, it, or them, had done this in an infinite, out of infinite love, why wouldn't the creation be itself infinite? And that's what seems to be the case here. So... Within this infinite creation, we have 
the combination of all things, which might make a perfect, elegant whole. All things coming together. And maybe I'm wrong about that. Probably am, but I mean, I like to think that that's the case. So all the horrors that have occurred during history are occurring right now, but also all, all the most wonderful things that could ever be possible that haven't even occurred and may never even occur in, in, in the consciousness stream in which we're, con- we're conscious right now uh, are occurring too. So uh, I think that there are far more, we've certainly found far more positive beings out there than negative ones. And I think that uh, that, that the the whole, even the Zoroastrians, everybody, a lot of these religions say in the end, good will overcome evil. And I think that that's essentially, I think there's far more good out there than evil in this multiverse. Sorry, sorry for the lengthy answer, but that's essentially it. Uh, Rick, you have any thoughts on that? Well, I have a question first. <clears throat> that was Goshen, Connecticut, is that correct? Well, Goshen, Litchfield, and Torrington is, are the centers of it. It's, it's Goshen. Okay. Uh, this is out of interest for me. When you when you went there back in what was it seventy two? Did they was what did it physically look like in terms of uh, the plant growth? Uh, any buildings left? Like what? Could you go in a little bit more detail about that? Oh, you're talking about the the uh, Village of Voices case. I thought you were referring to where Phil is in the Connecticut Triangle. Oh, it's a whole different place. Although interestingly, the uh, the Litchfield Triangle area has the strongest. Bouger anomaly in Connecticut. It's a well-known gravitational anomaly that we find uh, in all these flap areas. Uh, now, the uh, Village of Voices case starting in 1970 was up in the north uh, northeast corner of Connecticut in Wyndham County in the town of Pomfret. So that's where okay. that was. The, uh, the history of the place is uh, that it was centered around two families, uh, the Randalls, to whom we are related, we Enos, which I didn't know at the time, uh, to the uh, Higginbottoms, which is a very strange name, but it's a Welsh name. And both of them, uh, the major guys, you know, came from Rhode Island, uh, and we think that um, Darius Higginbottom was a deserter from the British Army who had married an American in Cranston, Rhode Island, and, and left and deserted in order to keep his American bride and not get shipped back to England, where he probably had nothing waiting for him, because the typical British soldier at the time was uh, from the, the lowest economic rungs of the ladder. So <clears throat> that's where that is. Uh, when we went in there in, in uh, 1970, it was um, pretty much wild. It was all overgrown, a second-growth woodland, there was a cart path where a road had been, and that's how you get in there. There were a couple of old uh, cellar holes where cabins or houses had been. Uh, there was uh, there were some stone walls uh, where some interesting things happened. And down by Nightingale Brook, you can see the remnants of a little dam and a place where the mill had been, where they made spinning wheels, okay, to sell. And that was later one of the reasons the place closed down. There is a rumor that. Uh, it was wiped out by a plague. Uh, we never found, I've never found any evidence of that myself. More likely it was an economic plague in the sense that the, the larger mills of the surrounding New England cities had, uh, put their spinning wheels mill out of, out of business. Uh, there was some farming. There was a little cemetery. Uh, but that was pretty much it was all, for, as I say, also all wooded by this time again. And a little pond. Lovely place. Uh, and then there's another road that went out to an, uh, another main road to the north where uh, the caretaker, this is, was private land, 
And uh, whenever we would sleep there, we got permission of the landowner, who whom I came to know, know pretty well, who recently translated, but uh, at an advanced age. And she actually wrote a book about one of the little girls who grew up in this place. It was a fiction, but um, you could see still see her gravestone in the little cemetery. So that's the background. Wow. Okay. I'm always interested in that aspect of it, especially with the vegetation, because I know in Goshen, um, it tends to be overgrown and almost in circles where uh, that village was. So uh, I was curious to hear about the palm fret. That was interesting. I didn't didn't put the two together. Yeah. Well, m- move back to New England where you belong, and uh, we'll take you around to some of these places. We're working on it. <laughs> okay. All right. Uh, does that cover Phil's question, I guess, uh, pretty much? Thank you, Phil. Uh, it's just it's a difficult thing to get your mind around, uh, but it's a combination of all things taking place uh, at once and all possible outcomes, which uh, it does take a lot of uh, of thought. And uh, you're you're the fellow to figure out if anybody is. <clears throat> we have Doug from Texas has a couple of questions. Sure thing, uh, Doug from Texas. We will start with the very first question because that is a very good place to start. Uh, and, uh, Doug, Mary Poppins. Yes, exactly. Uh, <laughs> Doug, Doug writes, have you ever done a show on palm reading? Uh, if you have not, do you have any intentions of doing so? <laughs> well, that's a good, simple question. The answer is no. I, it, it may have come up once or twice, you know, but in, in almost 14 years on the year, we've never done a show on that. I think we ought to look into that, eh? Uh, that's a good point. I, maybe it had. I don't know. I vaguely remember talking about it once or twice, but never really in depth. No, we never. I don't remember ever having a guest who could talk about that, and maybe a combination guest, uh, tarot and palm reading. Mm, yes, I can think of a few people right off uh, right off the bat who might be able to handle that. There's there's a lot of um, palm reading in astrology. Like uh, you could throw a rock and hit a house out here. <clears throat> who has it? Usually, it's within their own home, and they do palm reading. Astrology, tarot cards it seems to be really popular out here. Huh. I have elf, but what about out there? Is there? Is it as prevalent? Uh, I mean, I'd I'd say I'd say so. I think astrology, for some reason, is now becoming more and more prevalent in in popular culture. Anyway, um, which is, I, I mean, I, I guess that kind of makes sense. You know, with with lack of any any sort of of structure really at all, it's it's kind of like you you kind of go anywhere, and if there's an emphasis on trying to control your reality, which there's a big there's a big call for that in in modern Western society, um, where we all kind of have this sort of light solipsism enforced on us all the time. So therefore, we would want every tool possible to be able to control the reality around us. Better explain what solipsism is. Oh, solipsism is uh, a it's it's a it's a philosophy, right? It's a school of philosophy written by a guy who thought he was the only person who ever existed. And Max Stirner. Yes, yeah. Yeah, which is is kind of dumb because why would you write a book <laughs> if you don't if you book? don't think of anybody else exists, right? Yeah, exactly. So, <laughs> well, I think it's kind of tongue in cheek, but right, it's, it's like narcissism to the third power or something. Right. So the idea is that you know nobody else exists except you, right? So you are in charge of of reality in its entirety. The people around here certainly drive like that. Well, yes, as, as someone who drives around in Massachusetts and is it, I do drive like that. But it's oh, it's uh, unfortunate, and I, I apologize to any and all fellow drivers. Well, I do. I have run into a lot of people, as as Rick was suggesting, uh, who uh, unexpectedly will say, "Well, gee, I do tarot. 
uh, readings or something like that. So it seems to be very common. Uh, I noticed uh, when I was at the Dowsers Convention in Arizona two weeks ago, they were uh, people were just and I never really thought about that being associated with dowsing, but it is because it's all all forms of divination, uh, which is an ancient term that comes from the idea that you ask the gods what's going on. And, uh, you know, mm. people would do that before they went into battle and all this, uh, much is made of Caesar and the pharaohs doing all the. So, uh, <clears throat> it does seem to be very common. And one thing that might be pointed out is that when, uh, economic times are difficult, people get more interested in the paranormal. Mm. And when they're mm. more frightened about what's going on in the world, they get more interested in it. So that may be a factor as well. Well, I guess, you know, I, I guess that makes um, sense. Yeah, there seems there seems to be a trend out here from people just that I know. A lot more are going to these um, mediums, tarot card readings, palm readings. It's becoming kind of more popular, and that, that makes sense with what you're saying, you know, because there is a lot of sort of strain in society right now, and people are turning. What's interesting though is I, I don't see them turning to um, their religion or their faith necessarily. They're they're turning to that, which yeah. You know, well, well of, no, good man. I, I would personally say um, that that a lot of uh, uh, I'm trying to think of how to put this so that it doesn't sound insulting. Um, a lot of you know, let's say let's just let's just go with tr- we'll say traditional religion. There we go. That that's a good blanket statement. Um, forces you to face reality, and there's a lot that happens in the world that. Is is it's really it's really hard to deal with, right? You know, distraction is is sort of the main currency, you know, and we we do everything we can to distract ourselves from it. So the so instead of facing reality and having to deal with our pro, deal with things, right? You know, it may not all, always be the case, but it, it would make more sense rather than you know, ah, uh, this is kind of scary. I don't know what to do with this, and I'm scared of being powerless, right? Because nobody, no, there's really, there's no one, no one rule anywhere that tells us we have to know everything, mm. and there's no, there's no rule that says, well, you have to know what to do in every situation. But for some reason, we all kind of feel compelled to know what to do all the time, and we don't, right? And so, By being in the military, exactly. So in that case, right, you know, you're like, well, I don't know what to do. I don't know where to turn. If I go to say, you know, generic church down the street, they're just going to say, well, you should just trust in whatever and that's really hard to do especially since it's an abstract concept that we can't you know say well we don't have a direct result you know what whether you know whether we perceive it or not right you know if i go down the street to the local psychic and say hey i'm having a hard time and they they you know they pick, take out their charts they go through they do their divinations and whatnot and then it's like oh well you know in Sometime in the future, you're going to get a windfall of X, Y, and Z. And, you know, that's seemingly more comforting because there's a material, concrete result rather than some sort of abstract, well, I have to deal with my problems in some way, shape, or form rather than pushing it off and focusing on some sort of material, concrete result. You see what I'm saying? So when it comes to the medicine person, as it were, nothing's changed in 10,000 years. I mean. No, yeah. no. The, the one thing that hasn't really changed despite having all these gadgets and all these fun things, is the human condition hasn't changed at all. We're still hunter-gatherers, biologically. That's, that's, what, you know, and, and that's, that's what you wonder by progress, what is meant by progress, because you know, just we, we've lived in arguably the most violent hundred-year period ever in history, right? 
and you you wonder about you know well what's changed and there's <laughs> nothing's really changed although we're told a lot of progress has been made but yet we live in in such a such a time frame that there hasn't been more war you know death famine all these horrible things happening in human history yeah you could argue it's because population growth but at the same time it's like you know we're told oh everything's getting better getting better getting better What's not nothing? Nothing has changed in the human condition. Well, you got to say Doug really got the juices flowing on that one. What's his second question? <laughs> uh, <laughs> it all started with palm reading. Um, so his next question is: Could there be a correlation between recent solar flares uh, that interfere with electronics here on Earth and the paranormal? Well, I'd, I'd give that a big yes. Uh, for years now, I've been talking with astronomers who have noted that the entire galactic plane in our area anyway is all flattened out, which means that there's nothing to inhibit a lot of electromagnetics from from sort of zooming around uh, and affecting things, which of course include our brain waves. Gravity affects a lot of things. And uh, so, yeah, I mean, I I think that that's um, uh, the solar flares too all affect uh, that. Everything is pretty much held together by electromagnetism. So these things all affected, huh, uh, Rick? Well, I've I heard recently reports that the 5G, which is going up, is affecting aircraft radar and radar from the ground. Yeah, I heard that too. Yeah, I think that's going to be a problem going forward. I mean, there's, uh, and not just a minor one. And then the question of what was just asked, solar flares. Um, I think when you really look at 5G and you look at some of the, uh, the reports that have come in, people were saying about it, whether it's a health concern or interference concern or just being connected instantaneously uh, 24 hours a day at that high speed, you know, what, what is that doing? I mean, if that's, if that's a Wi-Fi signal in your, in your house, um, what is that actually doing to you? Yeah, electropollution, as it's called. Yeah. 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 And, of course, as far as the paranormal is concerned, uh, I think certainly yes. I mean, in our definition of the paranormal, it's uh, stuff from parallel worlds, uh, Im- even people impinging through the electromagnetically or the the uh, plasma charged membranes that separate the worlds. That's kind of a sim- simplistic approach, but yeah, I mean, since um, solar flares will affect anything electrical, it'll it'll affect elect- electromagnetics too. So. Yeah. Yeah, I mean, you might be having more paranormal activity as people, uh, as the brains uh, will thin or break in certain places or overlap, and uh, you will see, you know, uh, Uncle Uncle Buzz, you know, who uh, died 30 years ago or something, and he's, uh, you know, so I mean, this is all how it seems to work. So yeah, I'd, I'd give that a big yes. You make a great point, Paul. Like, what does it do to the membranes that separate us? And you know, it's it's, it's a great sort of movie. You know, we have too much five G within the membranes. All of a sudden, all this stuff starts happening, right? But I wonder if that's where it's going to start to lead with and see more incidents of paranormal activity, especially in those flat areas as they put up those towers. Yeah, it's true. Uh, one of the things too that there is a wrinkle in that, and I often wonder if. We're hearing so much more about paranormal events for two reasons, uh, other than the legitimate one you just mentioned. Uh, I'm sure there's that, but there's also the notion that uh, with the technology today, uh, things are easily faked, and with the technology today, uh, the information flow is just totally overwhelming. 
So if somebody sees a, a, you know, somebody in the road running across the road at night, aha, it's Bigfoot. And the whole yeah. world knows about it in a matter of minutes. So, and it might be totally inaccurate. So uh, we're dealing with a difficult information flow situation, I think, Ben. Um, yeah, I think that's, that's, that's important to note too. I think there's a lot, there's a lot of factors that kind of are in play here. And I think one really important thing to point out is the phenomena always meets us where we are. You know, you wonder if, um, you know, some, someone listening to, to us now is, is thinking, well, I, I've never had anything happen to me. You know, I've, I've never, I've never had to deal, deal with any of this. And, oh, there's a, there is a caller. So please. So uh, Doug, uh, I would say that uh, the, the uh, answer to that is a qualified yes, uh, yes with uh, a couple of caveats uh, as we mentioned. So um, okay, now here is uh, oh someone wants to know oh this is uh, Peter Peter from South America or uh, listener uh, power uh, listener deluxe and uh, occasional co-host um, and the question is uh, is that somebody wants to ask a question. Oh, it is. Oh, it is the bottom of the hour. Okay, um, right. Now, why don't we? Uh, if the caller doesn't mind holding on for a minute, we'll take our break and get that out of the way, and then we'll get uh, to this yeah. new case. Lovely. So you're listening to Behind the Paranormal with Paul and Ben Eno on WOON, 1240 AM and 99.5 FM in New England's beautiful Blackstone Valley with our great guest co-host Rick Eno today. We'll be right back. The night is alive. Join us and take a walk on the weird side when you tune in to The Kingdom of Nye, hosted by Heather Wade, the finest in late-night talk. Listen live free weeknights starting at 9 p.m. Pacific Time at thekingdomofnye.com, talkstreamlive.com, and the Paranormal Radio app. Want to take a ride? Local and live at 99.5 FM. Okay, and we're back behind the paranormal on ON Radio today, and we have Eric with us. Eric, welcome to WOON and Behind the Paranormal. Thank you, thank you. Okay, Rick, uh, take it away since you two are partners in crime. Okay, so let me just give the background of the property. We're going to be talking about the Child's Mansion, which is in Davis, uh, uh, Davis, California. Um, So we're going to get the background so you understand how it builds up, and we're going to talk about what what happened to Eric there. So the Charles Mansion, well, the property actually dates back to about 1850 for purchase. It was purchased by a Joseph B. Childs. They were originally from Kentucky. Um, I don't really know what they're prospecting, uh, if they were here a prospect or farm, but they built this this uh, 12-acre, they had this 12-acre purchase of property, and then the son of Joseph built this uh, Victorian um, mansion, uh, 15-room Victorian mansion, that would be William B. Childs and his wife Clara, about 1902. And the property served as a place for them to live. It was also a place for them to be buried. So there are uh, a lot of Childs on the property. Now, it's on the edge of the Davis Cemetery, so it's unclear if, if, if the Davis Cemetery was actually where they were buried, which was their property or not. But the point being, there's a lot there. Um, so the basically after the past of uh, Joseph Childs, the property sat kind of dormant for a while, and then um, in about 1960-61, Larry McFarland and his wife Sonia, 
Larry was 41 at the time. He was also a professor at UC Davis, uh, chairman of the veterinary department, um, bought the property. What's interesting about Larry was he started at UC Davis as a janitor and worked his way up to PhD. So he was a very serious, serious guy. Uh, his wife was a nurse out of Czechoslovakia. Um, they had three children, Michael 14, Kenneth 10, and Nina 9. Um, so the property was set. They restored the mansion. It was beautiful. They had lots of animals on the farm, and that's where the kids would love and play. And it was rumored that they were a very happy family. But apparently there was uh, some some strife in the family, and Larry had moved out. And then on April 7th, 1972, uh, Larry made an announced visit. And um, sadly, um, he uh, killed his wife and two children. That would be Kenneth and Nita. He bludgeoned them in the back of the head and brought them up to the bedroom and um, waited for his son, Michael, who was 14 at the time, to return home from the school dance and then bludgeoned Michael in the back of the head, brought him up and laid him on the same bed. Then took out his shotgun and laid himself across their bodies and, and, and shot himself in the head. Now, what gets actually, from that grisly event, what gets kind of interesting is um, Larry uh, wrote a will out where he said that uh, if they couldn't be, t- they wanted to be together in life and death. Um, so sadly, that, that sort of came to be, and he specified that all his belongings and the properties go to his mother. Well, after a long, lengthy court battle, the mother of, um, of Sonia won the rights to the property and all legal rights, and basically she left the property undeveloped as a memorial to her daughter, her grandchildren, and even Larry, which I, I, I found interesting because I don't know that would have been my choice. But uh, And then the property sat kind of dormant. The one stipulation that she made sure happened that is that they were not buried together. So Larry didn't get his chance to be together with them in death and burial. So you've got to wonder what that what that might mean. Anyways, as we go forward, the the property sort of fell into disarray, and in the 1990s, Rodney Robinson became a caretaker of the property, and then slowly over time, Rodney moved out, and it's been back and forth as to where it goes and what's happening. The night of the murders, Larry also put gasoline all over the house and the bodies, and he burned it to the ground. So that that house is gone. But what remains is the barn. Uh, the barn, which is a very large barn, it's, it's in disarray, but it, it remains there on site. So bringing us up to speed today, uh, there's a witness on the phone. Uh, his name is Eric. He, back in about 2011, 2012, he had uh, an experience there, and we're going to discuss that. Uh, one thing to know, prior to all this uh, uh, in the area, there was a large Native American population. Um, in, in 2012, they were excavating the, body, the remains of, uh, I believe it was Navajo Indians there and, and their belongings and so forth. So this land, even prior to the Charles getting it, had an interesting background to it. So with that, I'm going to introduce Eric. And Eric, why don't you tell us a little bit about your experience? For instance, start where, uh, what were you doing <laughs> during that time in 2011-2012? Yeah, so I was still uh, going to the school, the university there, uh, UC Davis. <clears throat> I was with uh, a few of my friends, and we had kind of heard the rumors about that story. 
and uh, decided to kind of explore it for ourselves. Uh, we knew that it was right near a graveyard, so that kind of piqued our interest too. Um, and uh, upon first arriving, we noticed the barn was still up and erected and uh, wasn't torn down or anything. Uh, this was on the same property where the, uh, the murders occurred. And um, going into the barn, it was a little bit spooky, but uh, we didn't really see anything. Uh, it's just more of a weird feeling when we walked in. And we did actually try to see if we could find the house uh, where it happened. We found something that looked like it was burned down, but I'm not sure if it was the same location where the murders occurred. But we did find something that uh, looked like it was a little charred. And then shortly afterwards, um, we decided to go check out the graveyard, go see if we can see maybe any of the last names of the child or any of the family members. Um, I know this is the McFarland family. So we decided to go explore the graveyard right next to it and see if we can find any of those uh, tombstones. And... Uh, while we were there, we didn't really see anything out of the uh, out of the ordinary. We were walking around, kind of exploring, um, about to leave actually, and then we kind of had all separated because we were all kind of reading the uh, the names on the, the tombstones. And I actually saw something a little bit in the corner of my eye, but I wasn't sure if it was just you know my mind playing tricks on me, and. I had called my friend Tim to come over and take a look in that same area where I saw something, and then we both uh, were right next to the grave. Nothing happened, and then uh, about a minute later, uh, it looked like all the blades of grass right behind us were bending forward, kind of like if you had a broom and you were uh, sweeping everything in one, one motion. All the blades of grass started bending forward, coming towards us. And by the time uh, the blades of grass that were bending forward kind of caught up to us, um, I actually got the wind knocked out of me. My friend had a very similar experience. Um, and we took off running. And for about the next two hours, we were both... Um, in just a really weird state of mind. Um, I remember going to a grocery store that I had frequented a lot uh, during college, and we were walking around, and I just remember seeing the food and everything, and it was a really weird experience because I remember seeing the food, but also it was like, this is these are just objects. I don't need that. Um, that's not for me. Um, but my rational side, you know, I knew obviously that was food and it also felt like it was, it was me visiting the grocery store for the first time, even though I had been there probably hundreds of times during college. So, um, about two hours later, um, the, uh, the weird state of mind kind of, uh, subsided and we were back to normal. But uh, I think the weirdest part for me was that my friend and I had pretty much the same exact experience. Uh, following the uh, the encounter at the graveyard. Well, that, that's interesting, Eric. How about the other members that were separated? Did they experience anything that night? 
No, they didn't. But they were. Um, they saw. Um, they saw kind of what happened. They knew we were spooked, and um, they. One of them said that our eyes kind of looked dilated. I remember that. Um, but I don't know if they were just playing it up, but they were the ones kind of. Uh, I think maybe one of them didn't believe us. Um, but yeah, our, our friends definitely saw that we were not normal and that we were acting a little strange and then he said that you know you could tell we were a little scared but you yeah. know the weird part was normally i would be really afraid of those kinds of things but i was actually uh really comfortable really calm um <clears throat> i wasn't afraid at all um and it was really strange to almost have like two parts of you <laughs> uh thinking different things simultaneously it's like one part of you knows this place and then one part of, of you it feels new and it was just a really weird experience yeah yeah paul uh ben any uh, comment well uh eric um i'm curious uh you associate this experience with the terrible events in that house uh yeah. i'm not sure uh yeah i can tell you that we were looking for that kind of stuff but we um i mean we we were out looking for something, but uh, it was in a graveyard, so I have no idea. It could have been a number of things. I did feel, um, it felt almost like um, that same curiosity that you have when you're a little kid. Mm. So I, it, it almost felt like innocent, whatever it was. <laughs> well, just the not having been there or experienced that with you, uh, I would venture an opinion uh, or an interpretation that, you uh, from from our world, you would you would have had a close encounter with an identity point among the terms that we had to invent just to talk about this point of view that we have on the paranormal. The uh, right. the the whole uh, idea of every everything being simultaneous and all outcomes being there as well has a, uh, a caveat that all of us are actually all of us. <laughs> There is um, the the individual being a, a sense of just a, a sense of place and not having any reality indicates that that uh, real reality indicates that we are each other at some point. So whoever you were connecting with, whether it was somebody in that cemetery or somebody in that house or maybe someone that had nothing to do with any of that, uh, you had right. an, ex- an experience of literally being someone. That's why you felt so natural. I've had that. I think a lot of us have had that. We don't understand mm-hmm. it, but I think that's what it's about. Uh, I don't know. What do you say? Um, I mean, I think that's a little bit. Um, yeah, I, I, I did feel like myself, uh, but at the same time, it, it was, it was like, uh, it was a really strange experience because I, like I said, it seemed like it was a, a little child or something. Like I was just kind of back in that playful. Yeah, uh, curious mindset and that's looking how it works. through somebody else's eyes. Yeah, I mean yourself. What does that even mean? I mean, you could be this little child at some uh, intersect point, and uh, feels perfectly natural, and it's still yourself. I mean that that's yeah. kind of a whole new way of thinking. But that, that, that's maybe completely crazy or off the wall. But that's my opinion. Anyway, Ben, you know, any thoughts on? It? Um. No, I mean I'm 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 kind of I'm kind of in a bit of a uh, of agreement. I think <clears throat> I think really, you know, we weren't the ones that experienced it, right? You know, there's 
there's an objective reality, there's something happening, and all we have is a subjective experience of it. So if if you feel, you know, this wasn't this wasn't negative, you don't feel like harmed. Um, you know, now now that you're you're looking back on it, Eric, do you have different a different sense of the event? Has anything changed? Do you has has anything changed since since the event occurred? No, no, um, not really. I just thought it was really bizarre that um, my friend and I had the, pretty much the same exact experience. So, because I had I had talked to him about what happened to him, we were in this standing and pretty much right next to each other when it happened. And, um, you know, it's one of those things I feel like I could have chalked up to just being scared and letting my mind, you know, my imagination go wild, but. Uh, when I found out that he had the same experience, that's when it was a little bit uh, weird to me. Yeah, no, I, I would agree with that. Have you had any other similar experiences at any point in your life? Um, so when I was a child, um, uh, it was, I mean, it was so long ago, but I do remember um, vividly several times uh, walking into a room in my my house and my dad had set up a net with a bunch of stuffed animals in it, and I, for some reason, remember grabbing on the side of that net, and uh, just like something would lift me up, like almost like I was levitating. Uh, and I, I thought it was kind of a just a reoccurring dream or something, but I do remember that. Um, it's a part of like I, I remember it. it exactly how it happened i would just go in and then grab on the side and it was fun to me as a child and again it was one of those things that i was like oh this is just uh, a reoccurring dream but i spoke to my sister and i remember her being there in in those uh distant memories but she actually said she experienced the same thing so that kind of gave me the chills a little bit too mm-hmm. um i've never seen anything but i feel like a I have seen uh, the environment being manipulated, if that makes sense. Uh, I've yeah. never actually seen anything. I've been curious about that kind of stuff, but um, it all, I think that's the earliest uh, memory of like anything paranormal happening to me. Okay. But it was reoccurring several times. I, I might suggest that uh, you could be uh, one with empathic capabilities or characteristics you know and a lot of people have that it's part of part of our survival instincts but actually being able to uh, uh, connect with other people in a very very intimate way as far as their feelings uh, are concerned that sort of thing whether they're present to the physical senses or not you know so that's just another possibility but uh, okay uh, anybody else have any um, way to talk (laughs) to Eric here in the sense of questions yeah, so I know that in um, parasitic cases, they, they there's a host and they attach to it, um, and then it, the, the job is how do you get rid of that parasite from that individual, but in this case, it doesn't seem parasitic, it seems almost like a collision between what you just talked about, and it seems like, I don't know if it was the effect of the, the, the collision, or it was something that was attached for a while. Um, I, I'm not really sure how to break it down, but I, what I am saying, are there cases out there that talk about just what happened? Are there other situations, whether it's yourself or people reporting, you know, they, they have this burst, they lost their breath, 
and now <clears throat> they have this feeling for a few hours of what's going on here there's two people in my head or or but it's very calm have you ever heard that before uh, me it happens every day <laughs> yeah, no, it's, it's not unusual at all you know people you do. will dismiss it because it isn't quote-unquote normal whatever that means so it is, it is more of a, a, a being aware of it yeah. because yeah i'm honest with you with, with myself my life is very structured so i don't have these experiences i investigate them of course but I know you do. I know Ben does. I know a lot of people that have these sort of extrasensory abilities. So, I mean, this is common? Is, is what yeah, you're saying? Yeah, I mean, especially when you, uh, you know, in my case, it doesn't seem like it, but I, I lead a rather quiet life in most cases and uh, practice a spiritual rule and meditation, things of this kind. And uh, I think you're more susceptible to uh, these kinds of stimuli when you have fewer distractions so, so maybe it's legitimate yeah. maybe it's not but you, it does happen so in eric's case with the the blades of grass falling before him that's okay so, I, I like the grass yeah yeah i mean does that seem connected or is that just the wind blowing well i, I meant to ask him was there any wind um i mean it's always a possibility right but um this this graveyard was uh surrounded by lots of trees and tall hedges and things like that. So it just seems a, a little bit unlikely to me that it was wind. Okay. Now, I have heard of that kind of thing. Uh, the entire vi- environment can be affected. Uh, w- this tall grass, were, were you standing, was the whole thing tall grass? Or was it just uh, sort of bordering the area you were standing in? Yeah, it was just sort of bordering the area that we were standing in. Uh, we were actually right near that grave where I kind of saw you know, something in the corner of my eye. Yeah. Um, and um, I just, again, I I kind of brushed off as like, oh, that's just, you know, my mind playing tricks on me until that experience happened. And, yeah, it was just uh, it was really strange. Yeah. Okay. Well, I think we uh, can uh, continue to monitor the situation if you want to stay in touch with Rick, Eric, and thank you so much for calling in and uh, – Interesting case, but uh, not uh, too unusual, actually. All right. All right. Thank, thank you. you. Okay. Eric. Okay. Right. Have a good one, Eric in California. All right. Uh, I think we've got time maybe for one more question here, and this is specifically for Rick from Peter in Bogota. Indeed. And Peter writes to us, Are there any specific characteristics a case might have to be considered for a, quote, star team unquote, investigation. Uh, and can you give a couple examples of actual star team cases and investigations? Okay, so that's involved. Star team, uh, typically the ones that I hear about, I don't participate in star team. They're they're much deeper uh, in now terms of... MUFON, right? That's a... Yeah, oh yeah, let me clarify. So MUFON has different categorizations of... of uh, I'm a field investigator. And if you're a field investigator, you can be appointed to different teams. And that's all based on your experience and the time that you have to give to the to the actual team. So a star team member like like Dev, um, they'll go and investigate crash site landings. They'll go investigate actual entities on site, uh, abduction cases, and, and so forth like that. So it's a different level of field investigation. Um, and it's much more involved. And there's equipment involved usually all the time. So... That's the sort of the scope of it. And then in terms of examples, what I can do, I mean, 
I hear about them. I hear about entities all the time in the area because I'm in contact with them. I hear about uh, crash site landings when they happen. Um, uh, but what I can do is maybe in the future bring in an actual star team case with a star team member to discuss what happened. And I think you get a lot out of that versus me just sort of anecdotally saying, yeah, there was a crash here in Northern California or there was an entity walking around in uh, Reading and so forth. So I'd be willing to do that. Yeah, well, one of your fellow guest co-hosts is none other than Kathleen Marden, who exactly. is a big cheese on the star team. Yeah, so perfect example. We could uh, we could maybe do a panel or something with the, you and Kathy and ourselves. Hmm, that's a good idea. Yeah, that'd be cool, and let people write in. <clears throat> that, that seems to be a popular format. So, uh, okay, is that uh, all Peter has? Uh, there's one more question okay. from Peter, and Peter says, uh, Paul, you recently attended a dowsing conference. Uh, what, inter- <laughs> what interesting information can you share? Well, yes, that was two weeks ago in Flagstaff, Arizona, and I spoke uh, <clears throat> on something that wasn't entirely related. Well, it was, I guess it was just on the paranormal uh, in general, and I uh, kind of related it to dowsing because um, it's a, dowsing is a form of divination as we were talking about earlier in the show with uh, tarot cards, things of this kind. And the the general opinion is that when you douse or do any of these other things, you're calling upon innate abilities within yourself that I, if that's the case, I would say is related to multiversal awareness and you uh, find what you're looking for. Now, I've actually used it, Ben, you barely remember our old place in Cumberland, uh, Rhode Island. I have fond memories of the slugs. <clears throat> well, we'll leave that for another day. <laughs> hmm. Uh, but we speak of the slugs need water, and I had to find that there was a leak in, a, in our underground water line. Oh, and also the, the train set. Yes, the train that with, with the, from Chicken City would bring the eggs from the chickens. Every I do. I remember that this very fondly. quite a very place, fondly. folks, but you can look at Facebook. I've got postings on that. We'll leave that. Uh, aside for now, but you, you, there would be um, a water line there that I did. I wasn't sure where it was, <laughs> and I, I used the dowsing rods that I made myself just for the heck of it. I didn't know much about it, but sure enough, I got over the water, and, and then they kind of went out, went out, you know, on their own. I didn't do it, and um, hmm. I found the, the thing. We were able to fix the water leak, but the, of course, the first thing I could think of is, is the uh, seemingly involuntary moving of the planchette on a Ouija board which was not a good association, all right? Mm. Uh, on the other hand, I mean, I think uh, I have never heard anyone, uh, either with this conference or otherwise, uh, not have uh, a positive experience with this. I've never heard of any. But, but there were questions about its relationship to the paranormal and whether there could be anything negative with it. Uh, now, I must say, I did not spend a lot of time at the convention. I was in... Uh, in um, Phoenix with uh, mom, your mother, and yes. and uh, some relatives, and uh, that was by way of a kind of a vacation, my first one in nine years. And I just uh, sort of took a detour, went up and spoke. Uh, so I was only there for one night and part of a day. So uh, I wish I had participated more fully in the conference, and, and I think I will. I did join uh, the Ozark Research Institute, and I'm not a joiner. I belong to MUFON, and I belong to the Ozark Research Institute, which, uh, among other things, is a group of dowsers uh, from, and they were all happy they had a mem- member from Rhode Island. I know. How, how often do you run into somebody from Rhode Island? Yeah, exactly, especially in the Ozark Research Institute. Exactly. So, um, anyway, I'm looking further into it, but uh, I didn't 
have a chance to uh, learn too much except what I just said about that. But thank you uh, for the question, Peter. And I think we're pretty much coming down to the wire here, so we'll start yes. our announcements. Indeed. So on November 19th, uh, as part of the gallery lecture series at the Pine Bush UFO and Paranormal Museum in Crawford, New York, my dad, or both of us, depending on the schedule, um, will present an in-person program at behind uh, on Behind the Paranormal. Everything you know is wrong, and that's at 8 p.m. Uh, we'll have more details on that next week. Uh, we'll be a also we'll also be at the New England Parafest in Kittery, Maine, which runs from April 10th to the 26th. That's in 2022. Uh, not sure uh, just yet when we'll be speaking, what the schedule will be, uh, but we do plan to do a live broadcast from there as well. Yeah, that'll be good because that event hasn't taken place in two years. So, as as with many others, because of COVID, has it been two years? <clears throat> oh, it has been two years. Yes, hasn't it? Yeah. Wow. Same thing with the Lemonster Con. Yeah, that that. We're looking forward to all these things that are coming back in 2022. Yes, Exeter UFO Festival and all that uh, tremendous uh, events. Uh, after years of technical problems, as we, as we've been saying, all regular recorded radio broadcasts of Behind the Paranormal from CBS Radio. Achieve Radio and here on WONAM and FM have been restored in the archives at BehindTheParanormal.com. Many of those are out also uh, on um, the major podcast platforms, iTunes, uh, Apple Podcasts, uh, even YouTube, etc. Uh, but it's all the recent ones are there, but some of the, the ones farther back uh, may not be there. You might have to go to BehindTheParanormal.com. And that's, uh, that's free. Uh, and... Um, you can, uh, as I say, uh, in addition, our show has uh, its own app now. Uh, it's very uh, kind of bare bones, but it is free. What do you want for nothing? Mm. Uh, right now, it's just uh, has uh, some of our, most of our pa- past shows, uh, and we plan to add features as we go as soon as I can figure out the uh, software. Indeed, uh, and it should be available at the Apple and Google online stores at some point. You know, all the hoops you got to jump through, but don't forget, uh, so, uh, you wouldn't you wouldn't believe what they make you go through to do. That. Well, they're just trying to make sure you're not trying to they help steal. Well, they people's. think you're going to sell it. Well, yeah. So there are all kinds of tax implications. Going to be you don't have to worry about that if you don't sell it, but they still they still make you jump through the hoops anyway. That's a good point. So you can check out our show uh, or our books rather, along with the, our guest those of our guest co-hosts at our show website behindtheparanormal.com, where you can also find out more about the show, our many cases over the years, our public appearances, as well as how to book us, along with our 900 plus free recorded shows now restored, as my dad mentioned earlier. And please check out our charity page at behindtheparanormal.com. These are charities we have checked out very thoroughly. As a matter of fact, we know the people who run them personally, and the money goes where it's supposed to. Uh, there's uh, Hope for Hilldale Cemetery in Haverhill, Massachusetts. Uh, Tom Spitaleri called in last week, was talking about that. Mm. Uh, he's an organizer of many great events here in New England. Uh, other charities include USA Cares, Canadian Veterans Advocacy, Helping Haiti's Orphans, which is very special to me personally, uh, Youth Mentoring Connection in Los Angeles, Crohn's and Colitis Foundation of America, and the Sisterhood of Ground Zero, all along with the Milk Fund here in Northern Rhode Island. So, Rick, what's going on with you? Well, it's my anniversary today. So oh, wow. Happy, happy anniversary. anniversary. Thank you. Yeah, we're going to go out for a family lunch. Uh, uh, Italian. It's our favorite. Mm. And we're going to enjoy the afternoon doing that. And then... Um, you know, I'm I'm behind four cases, uh, so if Deb's listening, I'm sorry. I will get caught up, but uh, there's a lot of uh, if out in California, we're seeing a lot of cylinders um, being reported, meaning these flying objects and cylinders uh, that have no wings, no tail, but seem to be moving through. And people are spotting them and getting 
getting involved. So I'll be researching that for the next couple. Excellent. Weeks. So what's uh, what do you have for next week then? Well, we have uh, war- warming up in the microwave. On November fourteenth, we'll bring you a rare visit with a novelist, uh, Dina Ray, uh, whose fact-based novel looks at paranormal paras- paranormal parasite influence in advertising and cults. Well, advertising, I can well believe that. Well, no time for a quote. I'm Paul Eno. I'm Ben Eno. And I'm Rick Eno. Thanks for joining us on our great cosmic journey. And we'll see you next time on Behind the Paranormal. Return to this radio frequency 167 hours from now for another edition of Behind the Paranormal with...